Hey everyone, this is Connor. Before we get started, I just want to encourage you to check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. If you become a patron, you'll get access to multiple exclusive episodes every month. And you can also join our patrons-only Discord chat, where Pete and I talk informally with the Podside Picnic community. So if you like the show, go ahead and check us out at patreon.com slash podsidepicnic. Thanks. Hey everyone, welcome back to Podside Picnic. I'm here with Pete, the uh, the uh, the French guy in the movie to my Andromache. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I, I I was gonna Andromache you to the to my to your Nile, but you know whatever, it it all works. <laughs> Honestly, Andromache is the only name I remember from this movie. It's not really a movie where you remember names. It's a movie where people get their asses kicked. And or kick ass. Um, and Charlize Theron is the headliner as Andromache, the immortal warrior inscribed into Greek myth. Uh, and if you haven't guessed already, the movie we're talking about is The Old Guard, which just came out last Friday on Netflix. This is probably the fastest that Pete and I have ever gotten to something. A lot of the things we get to are 40 plus years old. This one is about the time you hear this five days old. So, you know, kudos to us. Yep, and uh, we'll talk to you next week. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're not going to spoil any of it for you. We're just going to do a whole episode about this. Come on, it's it's way too soon. Uh, no, anyway, this movie is about... Uh, it's quite simple in its premise. It's about this band of mercenaries who are like in this cool Jason Bourne universe where they you know travel exotic cities looking cool and being world-weary. But uh, they're a step above Jason Bourne in that I don't think they actually have any superpowers in terms of strength or anything. They're just good fighters. But they can regenerate kind of infinitely. If they get killed, they'll just regenerate. And they've been doing that in some cases for millennia. And there's this whole backstory. I guess it's based on a graphic novel. Like I said, Charlize Theron is Andromache, the leader of the group. And the movie kicks off with this young U.S. Marine, uh, this young black woman who's a U.S. Marine. They discover that she's the latest to join their band. Like every few centuries, they discover another one like them. So they induct her. And meanwhile, there's an evil... British pharma company being helped by an ex-CIA guy trying to harvest their genes to defeat disease or whatever. It's a pretty basic plot. Um, this is a, again, this is an action movie that is very tightly plotted. And I think a lot of people will find it just like incredibly dumb and overly straightforward for that reason. I will say I enjoyed it. Pete, what did you make of this? Um, I liked it. Yeah. Um, I, it, I thought it was as interesting for what it didn't do as much as what it did. Like, uh, one of the things it didn't do was try and create a massive, uh, complex origin story here. Like it didn't, it didn't create, uh, a mythos surrounding what's happening. Like, uh, which, which I actually find very surprising. Like when you, when you're dealing with a, a group of immortal characters and there's no, uh, there's no underlying belief system on why it's happening and they don't seem to have attempted to form one. I mean, like man's infinite capacity for bullshit is just ignored here. And I kind of like the choice. 
Yeah, you make a really interesting point that if uh, I'd been a little bit more organized today, I would have sent some topics. And the one thing that I wanted to run by you that I'm going to unfairly put you on the spot, but I want you to have a few minutes to think about it is. Yes. Can you think of other I guess technically this would qualify more as fantasy than sci fi. I mean, those categories don't don't matter to us much, but it is sort of a magical or supernatural deal here. And can you think of other examples of fantasy that you think is like fairly good or has succeeded in its way where there's a magic system, but none of the characters actually understand the magic system at all? Because that's what's going on here. Uh, I nothing leaps to mind for me, but I think, as you said, it's an interesting choice. Instead of having all of this lore and mythos about how this started, it's kind of uh, rammed home for us over and over again that these warriors just realize they have this ability because they get killed in battle and then they wake back up, essentially. Mm -hmm. And they they discover one another through dreams. So there's kind of a, a linkage between all the people that have this power. They they see each other in dreams and have a very strong instinct for how to find one another. And, and I think one thing that is kind of a little bit cutesy, maybe a little bit thin in this movie is somehow all the people that we know of that have this power have at least at one point or another gotten along together and decided to work as a team sort of like for the generic greater good. And that means, you know, sort of like interventionist, you know, freeing captured schoolgirls in South Sudan is the mission that they think they think they're being sent on initially um, and that's fine. Like, you know, it's an action movie. Like you don't need to be deep about these kind of things, but it mm -hmm. is just interesting that like you have these sort of uh, sort of disparate, mysterious figures that have this power. They don't know why or how, and they all managed to be friends. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, two, two of them managed to be lovers. And I'm just like, I'm sorry. After a hundred years, I, I have, I have, I have trouble stomaching that, frankly. <laughs> um, Just that they would not like have gotten a divorce in that point in that time span. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like I like to think that, and we are with them. We're talking about that. That they were from the Crusades, so we're talking about hundreds of hundreds of years where like you could finish each other's sentences and i just i cannot imagine that after a while that wouldn't get old yeah that is one of the cutesier moves uh this one pulp pulls which is like you have this guy like nico nicolo or whatever who is i guess an italian somehow mediterranean knight from the crusades and he killed this muslim guy who is his love i forget the guy's name uh who was his lover Muslim and, guy, I believe, is his name. Well, <laughs> I know, that sounded bad. I just like I can't remember. <laughs> the point is that honestly, the names are just not memorable in this movie. They don't get said enough. And like you have Andy Andromache that she's memorable. I've forgotten basically every other name in this movie. Um, but yeah, like they kill each other during the Crusades and then they, you know, both woke back up <laughs> from being dead bodies and then they became lovers, which is like, you know, it's look, it's a comic book movie. We've talked about this many times in here. That's fine. It's yeah. totally fine. It's definitely like fairly hand wavy, but it's, you know, whatever. <laughs> so to answer the question that launched all this, uh, I was actually thinking about like what what story was most like this. And I have an answer to that. But you asked uh, the magic system. Conan. Interesting. Expand on that for me. Well, I mean, like, the whole point about Conan is that he's fundamentally a rationalist, and he doesn't care about any of that magic voodoo bullshit. Like, he, he wants to get through it. Like, uh, there are all these other people wandering around worshipping gods that actually give you something for your time, and he worships Krom, whose whole pitch is, 
pray, don't pray, I don't really care. Like you get nothing from me. And so like he he is attempting to do this uh, this uh, uh, materialist path through an extremely spiritual world. And it's just such a wild lens. It's like he's the one Westerner in this whole universe of of uh, the other. And I and I think I think that was sort of deliberate, too. I mean, it, it, it's pretty clear that on some level, Conan is the uh, uh, is colonizing all of the ancient world and everybody else is playing catch up because he is such a ruthless rationalist. But the, the difference between these two stories is, of course, is that Conan is engaged and analyzes the world. He just specifically doesn't care about this one thing. And. I don't know what the people in the old guards problem is. Like I would be ex- like if I I would at least spend one generation of my life as a doctor trying to figure this out. Yeah, that's a great point. Before I I respond to that, however. Good man. Right. There we go. There we go. Um I think you make a series of really good points there uh about the sort of the blitheness especially of these characters who in some cases Andromache has probably had if we locate her in Greek myth, you know, all of classical Greek stuff kind of ends, you know, centuries before the birth of Christ. So she's had millennia to think about all of this and try to figure it out. And somehow I can't say like, are these people just dim witted? Cause somehow they have made no progress figuring it out. And this, you know, this, <laughs> <laughs> this like hot shot, young, evil British pharma CEO is like convinced he could figure it out, which like, I can't tell if he's really hubristic and arrogant, which I'm sure he is to some extent, or if they're just like total fools. Cause it, you're right that it would have, it would have, because this movie was not immune to just having like discrete flashbacks that are purely expositional. It maybe they could have, you know, put in like 90 seconds of, oh, we tried, you know, pictures of them like throughout the ages trying to figure it out. Um, but the fact that they didn't is, is quite interesting. And also to build on that, I think one thing that's interesting is the CIA agent played by um, the British actor whose name I'm going to mangle. It's like Chiwetelogia for I can't pronounce it correctly, but you've I remember him mostly from Children of Men, where he was one of the he was the most memorable um leader of the Fishers, the kind of insurgent group in Children of Men. He's been in a lot of things as a character actor. He's in this, he plays an ex-CIA guy, which is funny because he's British. So at the very start of the movie, the mercenaries have to say, I thought CIA agents were usually American. And he has to give some (laughs) explanation for why he's not. Um, Anyway, he shows up and he's an interesting character, you know, insofar as they're interesting characters in this movie, which is not very far. But he had a wife who died of ALS. So he's very tormented by the idea of sort of chronic or genetic illnesses. And he really believes in this effort to use their genetic material to cure, I guess, all disease or to cure aging or whatever the case may be. This kind of panacea quality that they're looking for. And he is the one who has this kind of, you know, classic red twine and picture poster board thing on his wall that links together all the different things that he believes these different immortal warriors have been involved with over the centuries. He's the one putting the story together. And it's not until he shows that to Andromache that like she's, that she starts to realize, because again, she's very world weary, right? She's very cynical as you might expect from someone who can't die, but has experienced a lot of loss over two millennia. Um, and has seen the worst of humanity as a warrior, et cetera, et cetera. It's not until he shows her that she's like, Oh wow, maybe I have done a lot of good. <laughs> <laughs> well, and can I point something out about that? It, it, 
it's a it's a fundamental misunderstanding about how math works. Like if I let's just say you make me immortal and I go out and I use dice to determine whose lives I save. Right. Statistically, over time, some of those people will be the grandparents of people who develop the first working heart transplant or who, you know, uh, who develop a new type of penicillin. Like if you go enough generations down on anybody, you're going to find crap like that. Yeah, absolutely. That's a great point. And it's, it's staggering that these people seem to have lost the capacity to think in, you know, so sort of complex causation terms, they can think in very simplistic moral terms and they do, they take mercenary jobs that they think are on the side of justice broadly, which again, you know, this is sort of a, NATO interventionist vision of justice where you go, you know, uh, mess up some brown people in the backwaters of the world and that's somehow making things better. And, you know, we can we can critique that aspect of the movie. I don't know. I think it's so obvious to our kind of listeners that it's not even worth harping on, really. But like, I will say that when they first sort of jumped to this group of U.S. Marines that somehow were all these are all like combat infantry Marines and all of them are women somehow, I I. I know we've come a long way in the U.S. military women in combat. I don't know how many all-female like Marine infantry units are rolling around out there. That felt a little bit forced on the part of the movie. Um, anyway, when they cut to that, I was like, oh, how much is this movie going to lionize, you know, the U.S. military? How much is it going to feel like Captain Marvel? And I think the answer is like not a ton. It didn't really spend much time on it either way. There's a brief moment where Charlize Theron basically you know, exfiltrates this young woman who was a Marine from the military and says like, well, they were going to experiment on you. So I saved you. And that's kind of the, they kind of leave it there. Um, and except to mention that her dad was a Marine or whatever, but yeah, like they think in like these really simplistic terms and insofar as there's almost any moral complexity in this movie, like it, it comes into play with this sort of flashback, which they also use to set up a sequel. Um, I've been rambling for a while. Do you want to describe what that whole like backstory element was, Pete, or shall I? Um, are, are we talking about uh, like her origin story and what she experienced over time and her buddy who who uh, learned yeah. to swim? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, I'll just explain it. It's uh, so at one point, by which point Andromache would have been like, you know, already almost 2000 years old. She and this other woman who was part of this group got tried as witches and heretics in England in like the, I don't know, 17th century. And when the English discovered they couldn't kill them, what they did was they took the one who was not Andromache and locked her in this like Iron Maiden looking thing and threw her into the ocean somewhere off a ship. And so like then she stepped at the bottom of the ocean, drowning and being crushed by pressure over and over again and then being revived for centuries, which I mean, let's be real, that sounds like it would really suck. So I'm opposed. I really am. That just does not sound good to me. Right. And it kind of, it highlights one of the things with these characters that I already said, but which bears repeating is that they can regenerate seemingly from almost anything. uh, But they, which by the way, I'll I'll do a detour on that as someone writing a novel in which my character, who's a vampire is fairly impervious to a lot of things, but of course has weaknesses. I spent a lot of time thinking about like what you could reasonably regenerate from. Cause like, you know, could Wolverine reasonably, regenerate from a direct nuclear hit well probably not even even given his immense healing powers and my character probably couldn't either and one wonders about these characters but whether or not they can regenerate from a direct nuclear hit they have zero other superpowers which means that if you get locked into a metal coffin you can't just like 
go Incredible Hulk and bust out of it. I'm sorry. I'm being a comic book fan and rambling here, but uh, <laughs> it's all good. Uh, so, yeah, I think. Uh, oh, oh, there's something I want to go back to real quick, if that's all right with you. Uh, so please, uh, there is a uh, there's a there's a science fiction author who's sort of known as one of the last of the space opera guys named Peter Hamilton. Uh, he wrote, wrote an incredibly bizarre series of books that are basically taking place in the future and uh, souls start escaping from hell and start possessing people like 500 years in the future. You're dealing with nanotech. You're dealing with all of that stuff. And then you have this weird spiritualist event. But that's not what I'm talking about today. I'm talking about a short story he wrote called Watching Trees Grow. And in Watching Trees Grow, uh, the the sport of emperors, uh, so emperors of Rome would have uh, gladiators and they started uh, doing animal husbandry of the gladiators, breeding them for traits and ended up breeding some to live longer. And this is about what that does to our society, basically. It's like you've got you've got uh, 99.9% of the population lives like we do, and then you have 1% that is effectively immortal. And Interesting. It's, yeah, it, and it's about a murder mystery. So that this is what sort of reminds me of this story. It's like it's about a, a, a guy who's solving a crime. He's a Sherlock Holmes, except he has to do it over the course of 3000 years because that's how like that's how hard it is to gather evidence in this particular case. And so it's the story where they just they keep flashing from like 1800 to 1900 to 2050 to 3000 and and. His lack of interest or reflection on the radical changes and their importance feels sort of the same way as Old Guard did. And I'm doing it an injustice here because let me make it very clear. I enjoyed watching this movie. It was kick ass. Like stuff happened and there were stabbings and blow ups and I'm all about it. But I I don't believe it. I don't believe any of it. Yeah, you make a great point. And this is one that I think I've brought up on here before, but always bears repeating that I think about a lot, which is the the believability conundrum, which, of course, in the genres that we deal with in particular on this show, believability is obviously more important than realism, unless you're doing really scientifically intensive hard sci-fi, in which case maybe you want to be realistic within the bounds of like actual physics. Fair enough. But mostly for fantasy, for sci-fi, for anything under the aegis of the literature of the fantastic. It's really, <laughs> it's really more important that it just be believable on its own terms. And that's easy. That's easier to mess up than people might think. I think that sounds simple. But once you start like kind of teasing it out, it gets complicated. I mean, case in point, to go back to what I was just saying, thinking about characters who are have a degree of invulnerability or who can regenerate, you have to think, you have to then think through, okay, what can they not regenerate against? What are their vulnerabilities? What are the limitations of this? And does that apply to my story? And you're always going to end up doing a, a degree of cheating, I think, when you get to make your own rules, but you have to have rules. And yeah. th- those rules will frame the believability. And yeah, I, I've been taking a task for this kind of an MFA land. Um, skeptical takes on things I've done where people are like, I just, you have to make me believe that this is what's really happening. And I always found that kind of odd. Um, 
and frustrating at first. And, you know, I think that, that people, if you're, if you're incredibly obtuse and you're like, to be, to put it this way, when you pick up a fantasy or a sci-fi book, ideally you should probably be something like Mulder. You should want to believe, right? Right. <laughs> you should be a friendly audience in most cases, unless you're really out to do a hatchet job, which, Hey, we've done on the show sometimes. So who are we to judge? But, uh, well- yeah, if you're an extremely wealthy person and you put a, a piece of heart in front of us, I don't know why, but we tend to be a lot more hostile towards you or your mega corporation. It's just it's a coincidence, I think. <laughs> it's just one of those funny things that happens in life. And you just just like in this movie, you don't know why. Um, <laughs> exactly. I'll stop rambling because I'm going to get Pete's take on this. But I think that you make a really interesting point, which is that this movie and this might be how we can bridge this movie to, to being to, talking about other movies. But I think this movie if it does have a fatal flaw, um, as long as, you know, as long as you accept it as being a tight, I think, well choreographed action movie and, and take it on those terms. I think that within that frame, its biggest flaw would just be, does it, does it make us believe what's happening or does it just sort of take advantage of our preconditioning to just be like, Oh yeah, cool. They have a superpower. It's just like the Avengers. And I think that's yeah. where that's kind of what you're saying, isn't it, Pete? Yeah, like like at at the end of the day, uh, what what makes this movie have legs is the fact that the violence is well choreographed and fun to watch. Like um, I, there are many movies that take place sort of in a similar way that I think have a much more interesting mythos behind it. Like, uh, well, God, have you ever seen Hancock? I actually know that. Maybe one we should do at some point, but I know of it. Oh for sure. yeah. Well, okay, like. It's not great, but I liked it a lot more than this movie on this level that we're talking about because it's a real exploration of why that's happening is happening and it it doesn't give you the answers. Like ultimately you still don't know what's really going on. You just have some more pieces of the puzzle by the end. And I think that's pretty cool. Yeah, absolutely. Um, and the fact that we don't actually have more pieces of the puzzle by the end, that might be kind of a red flag actually the more that I think about it. You're right. Like, we don't make any real progress on this. Even when the evil scientists try to experiment on them, I don't think they'd actually end up making, if I recall correctly, I don't think they make a much, much, I don't think they make significant progress on figuring out what's going on here. This movie also does a very clear sequel thing at the end, which, spoiler alert, the uh, woman from the undersea coffin comes back at the end to, to talk to the guy that they've exiled from their group for betraying them. And of course, being immortals, they're like, you're exiled for a century and then we'll come find you again. <laughs> but, uh, um, right. Which I think is funny. But uh, anyway, to, to your point, like, yeah, the, the, it's the lack of interest in its own mythos that I find um, concerning. I think that that must be a very deliberate choice, because if I understand correctly, this is based on a comic book, I think, or a graphic novel. And there. Yes. I'm guessing there is more mythos and more lore out there somewhere. Um, I don't know. I would love to know like where in the process that got cut out and I'd love to know kind of, well, I'm interested in the way this was made. I, I haven't, I've been lazy and haven't done any research, but I am interested in how it was made just because like it has an A-list star, Charlize Theron, um, mm-hmm. certainly among like, or certainly among action blockbuster stars in a post Fury Road universe. She's way up there among the current crop um, and just a huge name in Hollywood in general. And then you have some other uh, fairly well-known actors, like I mentioned O.G.A. Ford, some other character actors you'd recognize. So that's probably how it got, you know, made in the first place. And then, then it's a Netflix original. So I don't, I don't know if there ever was a plan to release this in theaters. It has 
to me, kind of a Netflix original feel to it, partly because it feels like a well-made movie that doesn't have to check every single studio box. Um, like it doesn't, it doesn't feel like it's sort of self-consciously trying to compete with Avengers, which is what you get in a lot of sort of non Avengers <laughs> yeah. uh, blockbusters these days. Um, so yeah, go ahead. I, w- I want to talk about something and I don't, I don't really know if it's interesting or not. It is precisely the sort of thing that uh, I'd be the last person to know if it's interesting or not. So start to indulge me and then be harsh. All right. Uh, Connor, are you aware that there was a point in my life where I was trying to be a writer and I was writing a fantasy novel? Oh, that's an interesting question because you mentioned that you tended to write something and you didn't make it very far. Were you fudging a little bit when you said that? Yeah, I, I probably got farther in it than I, I admitted. Yes, because it, it, uh, I, I, I don't I don't like that level of failure. And and there's something about this story sort of reminds me of it. And what it is, is that woman at the end who who escaped the coffin. Uh, the 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 basic idea behind my story, and I will go through this fast because there's nothing more boring than someone else's unwritten work. Uh, the idea is there's this tree and it has fruit and it's sort of like mystically self-actualizes you. So a pyromaniac who eats some of the fruit would basically become the god of fire, right? And so there's a, a couple of people encounter this over time. They 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 had set up a whole god Ponzi scheme with a bunch of suckers as the people under them, and one of them ends up betraying them. And what they do is basically curse him to be trapped in a particular state. Like they chain him to the wall, they pull the Prometheus thing on him where they keep he keeps having his liver stuck pulled out. And eventually he escapes. And the fact that he has that curse that keeps resetting him to where he was is what makes him so damn dangerous because he can't be killed. Ultimately, he can't be harmed beyond the harm that's already happened to him. And then it becomes sort of a fantasy revenge fantasy. Like, that's what I was working on. And I'm thinking about that woman. And I was like, well, why isn't she just blithering insane? And it's like, well, she'd heal. That's the worst part of it is like you wouldn't even be able to escape by going crazy. You get to re-experience the new joy of being drowned over and over again. Huh. Interesting. Yeah, I hadn't thought it. First of all, there's so much to unpack there. Number one, before I got to your thing, I had not thought of that story with the woman, the coffin lady in those terms. I did think, I mean, I I will just say that I I thought of that as like a particularly clever, like horrible thing to do to someone that, you know, can't die. Um, I thought there was points for points for wit on that one. Um, But to your point, first of all, Pete, I'm going to sound sappy here, but I like that idea for a story. Um, oh, thank you. I, I'm a little sad you abandoned it, but uh, I, and I will also say, however, obviously, as I've been fairly forthright about in the show, I am familiar with the frustrations and the sense of failure that go with trying to write fiction. So I don't blame you. I will say, though, I think it's a good idea for a story, whether you want to pursue it in the future or not. Oh, thank you. Well, I, one of the things that I think you're demonstrating and a lot of the people who come on the show is demonstrating is not just the ability to come up with the idea, but a way to uh, consistently apply craft with discipline. Like, I think there are a million ideas out there and maybe a hundred things that come of those ideas because of that discipline. I think that's the filter. Uh, Yeah, I think that's very true. I think that, 
Yeah, I, I said this before on here, but like <laughs> talent is is important in writing, but like it just pales next to discipline and work ethic and your ability to just keep going and keep getting better and keep producing. Yeah. And so, yeah, I think that that ties directly into what you're saying about like the plethora of ideas. I did read something. I remember reading something very grouchy by uh, I think it was a fantasy writer. I forget who it was. It was sort of an older guard uh, guy. I don't, it, it was like this grouchy uh, blog. Post. Old guard. Did you say? <laughs> <laughs> yes, indeed. Um, and it was like this, this sort of screed. By the way, I, I said this before, but like. I keep saying I've said this before. I've said before that I've said before. Um, <laughs> I'll, I'll try to cut that out in the future. Anyway, I I love I love and miss the era when like every genre writer in particular, fantasy and sci-fi writers in particular, it seemed like they all for a period had like well-maintained blogs they were very into. And I know that some still do. I just kind of miss when they like sort of did the thing where, you know, Twitter pre like 2014 or so people posted as if no one was watching and they realized, Oh shit, everyone's watching. Um, and I miss those good, golden era of like screed like blogging, unless your name is Orson Scott card, <laughs> in which case that was a bad, bad idea. But uh, anyway, that's a, that's a detour from a detour, which is just to say that this, that this thing that this dude wrote was like basically a, him complaining about how, so many times in his life, someone had come up to him at a party and pitched him on a story idea. And then they had said, like, oh, we could co-write it and we could split the money. And like, you just have to actually write it because it's my idea. And he would just be like, man, like, you just don't get it right. Like, you don't get how many ideas there are out there. And it's not the idea that's the goddamn problem. <laughs> yes, uh, that's that really makes sense to me, because I mean, like you come up with ideas every day, like we all I, unless I if unless I'm a unique person who thinks differently than most people like I, I, I fantasize randomly all the time. Yeah, right. You have a, you have a good imagination. Um, so do I. So we're always inventing stories in our heads and, and little tidbits and daydreams and like any of them could spiral into a large project if we saw it through to the end. I think that a good way to tie that back into this movie is to say. I thought Which I we had. probably should do. Well, yes. yeah, but I mean, it's it's instructive to get to go go wide sometimes to come back. I think that way that ties in this movie is is I think one critique I could mount to the movie is I will re- keep repeating this. It's a very tightly plotted, well choreographed. Which, by the way, a lot of action blockbusters now are not well choreographed with the actual fighting. Like Marvel movies don't, in my mind, put a lot of effort into the very specific art of action screen choreography, and a lot of the best action choreography now comes from overseas. Like Indonesian movies have a lot of like really great martial arts shit because it's, you know, it's actual people fighting with a choreographer. And I think this movie does a pretty damn good job of that. Um, So all of that is good. And I I recommend that it's a fun movie, but you know, where does the rubber meets the road as far as like bearing this idea out? We've already talked about a major failing being, well, if if there's just all of this missing lore and missing explanation, we don't know why the characters have done X, Y, and Z, it becomes harder to believe in general. I think to get sappy again, I would say like, my question is like, well, if you loved these characters, if you truly had a deep affection for these characters, and a deep investment in them, and love might, is often the wrong word, maybe curiosity might be a better word. Actually, our guy, um, uh, our guy Isaac Butler, who's been on the show, he said that to me when I was discussing this on Twitter that like in his mind, the writers he knows tend to think about 
characters in terms of, of what who they're curious about rather than what they love or like, which I think is a nice way to think of it too. But the point being, if you care deeply about these characters in that way, um, you would give us more of the backstory and you would make them a little bit smarter about certain being curious about their own background. And you would do X, Y, and Z things that we didn't see in this movie because this is a movie where these characters are sort of put on rails and are kind of frictionlessly drawn through this glamorous, um, I would say again, Jason Bornean world of cool kick-assness. And, you know, again, I liked it, but it, it, it again is like it's like there's an idea here that was someone else's idea that came from a comic book and then it got made into a movie. And along the way, a lot of the things that the comic book writers almost certainly cared about that made them love this project got stripped away. And right. Absolutely. Right. And that's kind of what's on display here is that deep that deep relationship you have to have to your characters to actually finish like a novel length project is not on display here. And, and it's probably been forcibly removed. So that's interesting to think about. I have a pitch for Thursday. I know we don't generally pitch in the middle of an episode, but I think it's a good idea. Uh, there's a there's a comic book store near me, and I'm going to go buy Old Guard today, and I want to read it and report back, and we'll have sort of a, a partial beer run, partial let's cross-compare the two. Yeah, I think that's a great idea. My only trepidation is just, is only that I, I need to get it, which I guess I can probably get a PDF or something, like probably figure it out. Um, yeah, yeah, I I know that I know that like well, uh, Amazon for example allows you get to get PDFs uh, of comics. It's not my first choice, but it's doable that way. Hey, we're still in the midst of a global pandemic, or at least the at least a U.S. pandemic. So uh, yeah. we gotta make the best of things. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that fair. that sounds. Yeah, man. Um, Let's do it. Let's because I actually am quite curious about the comic, because if I if I like the movie that much, once a lot of the kind of sense of one, I, I what I assume is a greater sense of wonder or maybe not. We'll see in the comic is stripped away, then I'll probably enjoy the comic. And I, I don't think we've ever actually done a comic on this show, have we? Uh, I did Daybreak. That's right. OK, so we've yes. done like one in 18 months, basically. <laughs> right. And honestly, I think this may not be our last. Like, for example, there's that show called The Boys. Yeah. I think yeah. watching The Boys and reading the comic, I think, might be something of value. Yeah, man. Um, that I'm interested in that, too. I th- I've, I've always thought we would do comics and just hasn't really come up organically. But this is a good moment where I think we are being kind of goaded into doing it. Um, yep. Is there other stuff you want to discuss before we sign off here? No, I think we're good, man. It's uh, uh, we, we we've got a tight thirty on this one, and uh, I think I think that's uh, the best way to do honor to the show. Is is like there's there's not a lot of fat on here. It's lean and and that's its selling point. Yeah, I'll add one last thing about this, which is that it's a really good one to watch if you're a little bit intoxicated and or distracted because like you're not going to miss a ton. That's important. <laughs> that, so you're not wrong. <laughs> if you want that kind of wreck, uh, you're, you're in luck. All right. Thanks everybody. Take care guys. 